Romans chapter 10. We are going to be picking back up where we left off, and today we are going to actually go through and cover the entire chapter of chapter 10 of Romans. So, And the title is The Promise of Salvation. Now, Paul in chapter 9, if you remember, talked about God's sovereignty, God's responsibility in the promise of salvation that he spoke from the beginning of time. And he also spoke in chapter 9 about how his sovereignty and how he was working through in the past and the future with the nation of Israel and with the Gentiles when it comes to the promise of salvation. The ability to have a personal relationship with God himself. Now in chapter 10, we are going to see the other side of the coin of that promise of salvation. There's God's responsibility or God's sovereignty in how he will, in what he will do. But today we're going to see the other side of that coin, and that is human responsibility in regards to the promise of salvation. And we are going to see Paul, again, continuing on the theme of working through, um, through the, what God is doing through Israel and the Gentiles when it comes to the promise of salvation. And you realize as you study the word in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, he obviously, um, all the writers refer back to the Old Testament. And for centuries, the Jewish people knew exactly what the Old Testament said. The writings, they knew what the law said and they knew that and understood that God was promising that the Messiah would be coming to this world. God himself in the flesh would be coming. And so for centuries, the Jewish people knew through the Old Testament prophecies and was practicing the law. They were studying the law and they were trying to practice the law and keep the law, which was, would lead them to Christ, the Messiah. And they kept looking and kept looking and kept looking. And God had prepared the nation. But when Jesus Christ came to this earth, they chose to reject him instead of receive him. And it was a choice they made. We see in John 1.11, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. But it was a choice. It was human responsibility to, to receive and to choose to receive the Messiah, Jesus Christ, when he would come. Now in verse 1 here of Romans chapter 10, he starts off by saying, Paul says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Now, if you remember back in the beginning of chapter 9, Paul was so, his desire was so deep and so desperate for his kingmanship. His, his, his brothers in, 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 as Jews, he loved them so much that he was willing to even give up his own soul that his people would be saved. And you can see here in chapter 10, his desire, his, his, what he keeps talking to God about is the, that, that the God for Israel would be, come down and they would be saved. That they would just listen. And we realize that Paul's heart was totally in line with God's will in his heart. And that 
There was no bitterness toward his fellow Jews. Even though we see in scripture that these people were persecuting him, not only shunning him and casting him out of the temples, but they were actually beating this man. That through his whole journey coming after coming and, and, and seeing the light and he was and, and started walking with Jesus, he was constantly under persecution physically, mentally, spiritually, was constantly coming against him. But that did not bitter his heart. They, that, just, his heart grew deeper in love for the people because they wanted them saved just as desperately as they needed to be saved. Because once you were in darkness... <laughs> Once you realize you're in darkness and then you come into the light and you know that you're free from your sins and you know that you're not going to receive the penalty of those sins, you're free, have the eternal freedom. How could you not have a desperation, a desire for, to reach the lost? Once you got saved, it's not about you. It's not about what you can get out of the system. What can I get out of the fellowship? How can I take, take, take? It is what I can give, 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 and how I desperately want to reach those who are not saved. Because I know what it means to not be saved. I know what it means to live many, many years of my adult life in sin and darkness. And then experience the amazing grace of God. Oh, people can't tell me, oh, there's no God out there. Because I know what he's done in my life and what he continues to do in my life. And Paul was sitting there, oh, I desperately want my, my fellow Jews, my family, my community to be saved. See, because Paul was one of them. He was the Jew of all Jews. He was on the Supreme Court, the Sadducees. He was of the elitist in the religious system out there. He followed that law to the T. He actually was so committed to the Jewish faith that when this Messiah, this Jew, the, the people said Jesus was the Messiah, he was so convinced that he was, he was a, just a wolf. He was just... He was, coming, he was coming against the Jewish faith that he was willing to kill and put those in prison for their faith, their Christian faith. See, re remember, there was a time when Paul himself opposed the gospel and considered Jesus Christ a fraud. And now he is one of the uh, people that God used to write majority of the New Testament. What, a, what grace can you explain in his life more than that? You know he struggled in his walk. We learned that back in just a few chapters ago. Why do I do the things I know I'm not supposed to be doing and I don't do the things I'm supposed to be doing? Oh, it's such a struggle, oh my. And then he came to us, this foundation in his life. He says, it's not about me. And it's not about my past because my past does not dictate my future. Jesus dictates my future and that his plan for my life is all that matters. It doesn't matter what I look like. 
And so he had that settled in his heart. And then we saw, and he brought it out here in verse or chapter 9 and now in chapter 10. See, the Jews thought they did not need salvation. Oh, yes, the Gentiles needed salvation. They're just dogs. Of course they need God. Not us. We've got our faith. We, we have this religious thing down. We religiously go to church every Sunday or every Saturday, every Sabbath, in the temple. We do all the, all the festivals. We keep it all. So they weren't looking for a savior. They wanted to keep their religion, religion going. But if you would have asked them, do you want a political savior to get us out of the Roman grip, the government grip? Absolutely that's what they were looking for. Is there anything new under the sun today? People are not looking for a savior, Jesus Christ. They're looking for a political savior to take them out of the grips of the government. How did that work for the Jews? It didn't work. We need a savior, a spiritual salvation from our own sins. That is what we need. So why did Israel stumble over the stone that we saw in Romans chapter 9, verse 32? The, that cornerstone who we know is Jesus Christ. Why were they stumbling over that stone? Why would they reject, have the rejection of salvation? Well, we see in verse 2 of chapter 10, they were ignorant. We see a few ignorances here coming out of their life. And it was exposed by Paul here. It says, first, he says in verse 2, for I bear them witness that they, that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. See, even today, if you've ever met an Orthodox Jew, they have tremendous zeal for God. Oh, they have a tremendous zeal for God. Even today, we see the Jews are still ignorant of the knowledge See, based on their traditions, based on rules and regulations that they came up with over these years, they added to the, the word of God. They brought this oral law, which was called the Manisha or the, Mel, uh, the Talmud, they added to the word of God because they wanted it all spelled out. They all added all these do's and don'ts of what they can or cannot do. And what happened is, is they put that oral law that they created at a higher plateau, a higher priority than the basis, the foundation of God's word. Now, don't get me wrong. Some traditions are good. We even have some traditions. We have some routines here that we do. But we do not put them above God's word. And we don't do anything that's going to conflict with God's word. We don't ever want to do that. But the Jews, they lived by their man-made rules. They became very zealous around their rules and regulations. But this type of zeal resulted in the rejection of salvation and not receiving the promise of salvation. See, we are not to just have knowledge Oh, there's many out there that can quote you the scriptures and they can turn it on just like that. Ask Satan. He can do it. 
we are not just to know the knowledge of God. We are to have an intimate relationship with God himself. Amen. It's about a relationship, not about a religion. So are we zealous for God's word? Do we put man's religions and traditions and ways at a higher priority than God's word? No, we are to not. It's like if we do that, it's like, oh, yes, you get a lot of heat, but no light. And unfortunately, many today think their religious and good works will save them. When actually these practices are keeping them from being saved. Oh, the next Jehovah Witness that shows up on your doorstep. What, what peace you can have to say, I am, I am at peace. I am positionally right with God. Because I put my trust, my faith in Jesus Christ. How is your work working out for you? Let me tell you. Do you have the peace? Do you have the security? Or do you have to keep knocking on a few more doors before you think you've earned your way to heaven? See, we don't have to knock on doors. We don't have to come to church. We don't have to do anything. We just have to believe. But every other religion, you have to do something to earn, to try to work your way. And we'll see it very clearly as Paul continues it. So, But remember, you can be so sincere, so devout in your religion. But remember, sincerity and devotion will never save your soul. And because they did not understand the kind of righteousness God had for them, we see in verse 3, Paul continues and he makes it clear to him. He says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. So we see two more ignorances here. They're ignorant of the knowledge of God, but they're also ignorant about the, the God's righteousness and God's authority. And because of that, that brought in why they reject or have the rejection of salvation. See, the Jewish people became very proud and self-righteous. It is not that they were not told of God's righteousness. They just refused to learn and to submit to the righteousness of God. So many people out there today know the things of God. They've heard things of God's word. It's been shared on radio. It's been shared by their neighbors. It's been shared by their family members but they don't want to receive it, to learn from it, but more importantly, to submit to God's authority. Oh, so many people claim to be Christians, but when you ask him, is he your Lord or just Savior? Oh, I want to be saved from hell, but God, you can't tell me how to live my life. Oh, those are conflicting and butting head moments right that's the struggle, the spiritual struggle between the flesh and the spirit. When you're not willing to be submissive to the God's authority in your life. And so Paul makes it very clear to them. They, oh, you're just ignorant to what God's righteousness is here. See, Israel had so many opportunities to be saved. 
but they were seeking to establish their own way and their own truth. They would not submit to God and would not admit their sins and trust in the Savior that God sent. They would not submit to Him. And many today, like the Pharisees, they thought only they had to only had to do good works and could not imagine a righteousness that comes by faith alone. You mean just trust God and that's it? Just believe in what his word says and that's it? Oh no, I gotta do something. I gotta do I gotta do something. I gotta I gotta I gotta help here and help there and do something. If I don't, I feel like I, I I'm not I'm not doing something. Well, go back and read Joel chapter 2, verse 32, and Acts 2, 21. Because the Israelites, they thought they knew what was best and decided between right and wrong for their, their lives. We'll decide what's right and wrong for my life. I don't care what anyone else tries to tell me. I know what's right and wrong, and I'm going to apply it the way I want to see it. But that's not how it works. If you're truly a Christian and he's your Lord of your, of your life. Remember, man's ways and standards do not measure up to God's requirements, do they? And they're unacceptable to God. Isaiah 64, 6. All our righteousness are like filthy rags to God. Paul stated in Philippians 3, 9, in his righteous way, he says, He be found in Jesus... Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. Oh, he lived that righteous life by the law. To the T. But now he understands God's way was not about righteousness of the law, but righteousness of faith. That is what he wanted. Romans 3.20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. See, God's righteousness is established for all people through faith in Jesus Christ. For all people. God is truly an equal opportunity Savior, is he not? He died for the whole world. He, only, he didn't give the promise just to the Israelites. He gave the promise to the Israelites and the Gentiles. If he did not, you and I would not be sitting here today. We wouldn't have that promise of salvation. We'd have the promise of damnation. And many today, based on their salvation... They rely upon their salvation and man's religion is following some man's system. My do's and don'ts, and if I do this and do that, and I just try and I work and I work and I work really hard to do what they tell me to do, I'll be saved. But that's not how it works. That's called a work-based religion, and that is not what God said. That is what the Israelites did. They think it's a work-based religion. Religion and a relationship, and that's what God is trying to get across to the Israelites and to you and I. It's not a based on works mentality. It's based on a faith. Our righteousness is based on the finished work of Christ on the cross. 
a relationship through faith with Jesus Christ, who wipes our sin slate clean, who places us in our new position in Christ, who imparts his righteousness inside you. Yes, practically, we're still dirty, rotten sinners. Practically. But positionally, he has put us in a position of perfection, and we see that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. And in verse 4, we see what happens. Now Paul says, okay, now let me explain to you all the purpose of Jesus Christ, your Savior. He says right here in verse 4, he says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Jesus Christ came to put the end of the, to the law. He is the fulfillment of that law. He completes that law. The law is good and it's right. We know that in the scriptures. It was good as a tutor. It was good for you to teach and, and good to show and, and kind of create some boundaries. But I have come to fulfill that law. See, the the Jewish religion pointed to the coming Messiah. And he did that through their festivals. They did that through their covenants. They did that through the priesthood. They did that through the sacrifices. They did that even through the temple services. All of that was pointing to the fact that the Messiah was coming. And to prepare them. The law told them clearly that they were sinners and in need of a savior. And instead of letting the law bring them to Christ, they chose to worship their law and reject their savior. Matthew 5, 17 and 18. Do you do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets? I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, Till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till it all is fulfilled. Galatians 3, verses 24 and 20 through 26. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. The law was to bring us to Christ. That we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we no longer are under a tutor, but for you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That's our new position. We're a child of God. We're in his family. What a blessing. What grace, is it not? Law cannot make me righteous. It's just a sign, a tutor. For sinners on the road of life, pointing the way to Jesus Christ as Savior, who can give us righteousness. There's only one thing. Only one thing can do so. And that is my faith in Jesus Christ. See, God imparts his righteousness to me by faith. By faith in him and him alone. So remember, if you think today you can improve in somehow, some way, you can improve and you can work hard enough. Or 
do it some better way or or you've got it, I'm going to do it my way and it's just, God is just going to have to accept it. Just hear me clearly in such a loving way, I hope. I, I say this very lovingly. Do you really believe you can work your way to heaven? Do you really believe that you think you're smart enough and you're clever enough and you know it all and you're so smart that God is just going to, of course, receive you, of course, accept you. Let me gently let you know that you're lost today and that you're on the wrong road. You need to repent, change and go 180 degrees and go to Jesus. Come to him today because the path that you're on right now is leading you to destruction. It really is. Just like the Israelites, it is leading them destruction because they're relying upon their own righteousness. It's called self-righteousness. In verse 5, we see that Paul now gives a contrast to them, so it's, not, so it's very clear to them. The difference between what they were doing, the law of righteousness, versus the faith of righteousness. In verse 5, he says, he uses you know, something from the Old Testament, so they are very clear in understanding. He says, for Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. And he quotes here, the man who does those things shall live by them. He says, remember, the righteousness of the law was based on what man must do or not do. But the righteousness of faith is based on what Jesus has already done for you. The finished work of Christ on the cross forms the basis of my, right, my righteousness standing before God. It, his work is complete. It is finished. We do not have to earn it. And so he's saying to them, you're, if you're going to live and base your righteousness, your right relationship with God based on the law, based on what you can do or not do, you're going to have to continue to live like that. Day in, day out, you're going to have to really struggle and strive to keep that happening. How is it going for you? Have you been living a perfect Christian life every day? Do you wake up every morning in just a great space and say, oh, honey, I love you. You're such a great husband. You're loving me. Oh, my wife is so perfect. My kids are so perfect. My job is so perfect. Where is my righteousness by the law is a continual struggle in progress. And if you want to keep the law, you must live by the law every day, every moment of the day, 24-7, 365 days a year for the rest of your life. Is that not a weight and a burden on you just to think of that? If you just take one day off, make one mistake, the whole thing. James 2.10 says, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. What's the difference between the law and the, and the spirit? See, remember when the law came down with Moses? 3,000 people died. 
3,000 people died. Go back and you can look at Exodus 32, 28. But when the Spirit came, when the Spirit came and descended in Acts 2.41, what happened? 3,000 people were saved. We want the Spirit to come, do we not? We want to be saved. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.6, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. See, remember, legalism in your life or in our church or churches or in our communities will always lead to death. But the Spirit in our life, the Spirit that moves in our church and churches, and the spirit that moves in our community will bring life. That is what we want. And he continues in verse 6, But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, in verse 7, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. See, there are those today, there are those today who think they know what's best, and they will lean on the things of this world. They think, if I can just get to a mountaintop experience, I'll climb a mountain, I'll look out over creation, and I'll have this experience, and I will just somehow draw closer, I'll get closer to God by going 5,000 feet and above the air, or sea level, I should. Or if I would just go so deep and I'll just go so down and I'll get so low that somehow I'll bring Christ up to me, I will understand it. And so many people today that you can see, they lean on philosophy. So if I can just get to the mountain and if I just got enough human philosophy and I can reason through all of this, somehow I'll have this experience with God. Or if I can get so deep into the theology, get down into, right down to the Hebrew and Greek, and I just absorb into the theology, somehow I will get to a point in my walk, my relationship with Christ, and I can make him real to me. But Paul continues here and says, that's not how it works. Verse 8 is very clear. He says, that's not necessary. He says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For what? The heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You don't have to climb a mountain. You don't have to study philosophy. You don't even have to study the depths of theology. Deuteronomy 30, verse 14 says, But the word is very near you. 
in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. Jesus is all he's asking. God is only asking you and I to have a childlike simplicity. A childlike simplicity. Not through theology, not through philosophy. If you will believe in your heart that he is risen, that he is dead, he, he, that he died for your sins and he is alive, that is what you need to believe. And when you believe that, all of a sudden, we see in the scripture here that out of that some childlike simplicity of heart, confession will come out of your mouth. Because what comes out of your mouth is from what? Say it with me. Your heart. So when your heart has been changed, you will have no problem confessing to anybody at any point, anywhere, that Jesus is your God. That he is your Savior. That he died for your sins. And that he is alive today. And that he's coming back for you now. To bring us home to heaven. You will have no problem saying that at all. Because you believe it. Your heart's been changed. Even in verse 13 that we get to here. It says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, I am not ashamed to tell others of my relationship with Jesus and what he's done for me. I don't care where I'm at, who I'm talking to, and how much they may not want to hear it. But if God opens the opportunity, the new door, I have no problem having what's in my heart to come out of my mouth so they will hear the truth. the word is near you, it's right at the tip of your tongue, then you as a sinner does not need to perform difficult works in order to be saved. All he and she has to do is just believe in Christ. And he'll save you. Why? he keeps his word oh I hope you remember that our God is a merciful God that no one who has called upon the name of the Lord from the heart has been turned away by God he didn't turn me away I assure you he's not going to turn you away And Paul says, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Oh, we're prior to coming to Christ, your sins, oh, you had a lot to be shameful of. But Paul quotes again from the scripture here that, that whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. It shows how the salvation is by faith. It is such a blessing and love for me to preach and to teach and to share the gospel for with whoever will listen. 
Why? Because it's such a joy because I have witnessed over the years of the promise of salvation that God has given me to see that not only in my own life, but when I preach and I teach and I share the good news, the gospel with those who will listen, I have watched people respond to that that, 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 uh, that conviction of the heart by God. And as they open up their hearts and they receive Christ by the simplicity of faith, I've watched over the years individual lives change radically. Families be healed unbelievably. And communities and families and neighborhoods to change because of the good news of the gospel. And once you have seen a person's life that has been destroyed because of their sins. Come to Jesus and then be transformed. They don't think the same way. They don't do the same things. Now they're, they're contributing in such a positive and a loving way in everything they do in working with people in their society. We see this hatred across our world. Do you think it's because of politics? It is not because of politics. It's not because of your upbringing. It is not because of the drugs. It's not because of the alcohol. It is because of sin. And I have watched people be free from drugs and be free from alcohol and be free from hatred and be free from division and be free from hardness of the heart because they simply believe in what Jesus Christ did on the cross for them. Because the scripture says so. How do you know if God loves you? Because the Bible tells me so. In verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you're sitting there today and you think, oh, I don't think God is going to, would even think about saving me. I, why would he save me? Why would he even think about saving me? I'm such a heathen. I'm, I've made so many mistakes. Why would God allow and even accept me? Well, let me tell you today. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or if you're a Gentile. It doesn't matter where you come from or who you are. If you will just come, and as verse 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Will you trust that? Will you trust, will you believe in the word of God himself right here who is speaking to you? Because God is as eager to save you as a Gentile as he is a Jew. Paul already proved that there is no difference in condemnation. In Romans chapter 3, verses 20 through 23, all are condemned. All are going to be damned. All were on the path to go to hell. And the only thing that's going to change that direction in your path for eternity is if you decide when you hear the word of God, which you just did, if you choose to accept this promise of salvation for you or to reject that salvation. But it's your choice. It's your responsibility. Instead, 
so many people that the, think the Jews have some special righteousness of their own through the law. And Paul's making it very clear, and we know in the scriptures that that's not true, that all of us have the same righteousness promised before us, the promise of salvation, if we would just believe. Because Jesus is Lord of all, and he is Lord for all. See, all men are equal in his eyes. Mark 8, verse 34, he says, When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Will you? Have you? 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slacking concerning his promise. As some count slackness, but it is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Oh, that scripture spoke to me when I first got saved because I was old. Not real old, but I'm old now. But back in those days, I was old. At the time, I thought I was older. I was an adult already. I don't think, can you imagine if, if God came back just that year prior or 10 years prior or 20 years prior? And it came to that realization, I would have gone to hell. Because of his long suffering, he doesn't want anyone to perish. So he's, he keeps waiting and he's putting off and long suffering, trying to use, work through our lives and, and to, to reach the lost so that more and more could come to, into the, the family of God. But we also know in the scripture that it will come to an end. It'll be soon and very soon he will come and he will take us as his his children, and he will rapture us out of here before the destruction. Question is, can all choose to come to repentance? Yes. All of us have that, can have that choice. But will all choose to come to repentance? No. We know that many will not choose to follow him. John 3, 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But it's man's responsibility in the promise of salvation to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. Acts 4, 12 says, For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I'm not ashamed to say Jesus is Lord. So many today are ashamed and, and they think you don't, you don't need to know Jesus' name. You don't even need to say his name. Just say good morning. Just ponder on his characteristics. And somehow you're going to be saved. I, let me read it back to you again. Acts 4.12. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In verse 14, Paul then outlines a remedy for, the, for salva their salvation. 
this, this rejection that the Israelites were doing. The Jews were rejecting those in the, were just rejecting. So what was the remedy? What's the solution to you? And he's going to give them a solution. He wasn't going to sit there and tell them, you're going to be, you're going to be condemned to hell. You're not doing it right. You're in your own self-righteousness. There is no hope. He didn't do that. That is not, that's not love. He loves these people. So he says, okay, here's the remedy. He says in verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings good things. He says, you know how, you know how I'm going to reach you as, as the Jewish people, all my, 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 my Jewish friends? How am I going to meet, reach the Gentiles? I'm going to send my people out throughout the world to share the good news. The only way an unbelieving Jew can be saved is by calling on the Lord. But before they can call on him, they must believe. For the Jew, this meant they would have to believe Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the truly the Son of God, the Messiah of Israel that God was promising them. And it also meant that believing in his death and resurrection, and that's where we saw in verses 9 and 10 here in chapter 10. But in order to believe, they must hear the word of God. And for it is the word that creates faith in the heart of the hearer that we see here in verse 17. And this meant that a messenger of the word must be sent. And it is the Lord who does the sending. We see in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, Paul was called and sent by God to preach the word to the Gentiles. I love to preach. I love to share the gospel. And I will not let anyone or anything stop me from doing what God has called me to do, and that is to preach the word of God and to share the good news with those who are lost. And I pray that God has put it on your heart as well and is sending you out into your families, into your communities, into your jobs, into wherever you go for vacation, wherever it may be, that you understand that he's sending you there because he wants you to share the good news with those he brings across your path. To do the work of an evangelist, even though you may not have that special gift but he still calls us to do the work of an evangelist, and that is live our life so that we are a light and salt to those who are watching our life. We get to share the good news. Did you realize that is a blessing? Do you realize that God Almighty trusts you and me? To share the good news with a dying and lost world? We get to have coffee time and tea time with people and to share what God has done in your life, the good news that he's done in your life, and watch God touch the life of that person in front of you? Let me share a little secret as, to you as a Christian. As a Christian, 
and you've been walking with the Lord for some time, you may have already experienced something, or you will experience this in your life. You will get to a point where you're going to start feeling depressed or discouraged in your walk as a Christian. And let me tell you why that is happening. And it's because that you are not sharing the gospel, the good news with people around you. You sit and you take in and you read the word and you read the word, you go to Bible studies and stuff, and you think that's going to just, that's it. It's all I have to do. It's all about, let me take it in. I'm just eat, eat, eat. Take it all in. Yes, you must. You must grow. You must be strengthened by the word of God and the fellowship. But you have to be an outlet, a vessel, a, 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 a pitcher to be poured out by God so that your life will be poured out to touch the lives of people around you. Because if you do not, you become like a pond and you become stale because there's water coming in, but there is no outlet to get rid of. And you become stagnant. And you become depressed and, and you become discouraged. Here's the remedy. Come back to your first love and then share the love you have for the one who is your Savior, God Almighty, Jesus Christ. And watch that depression lift. Look and watch that discouragement will lift from your life because all of a sudden he's going to watch and he's going to do miracles in people's lives and you're going to be able to be witnesses of it. God working in and through your life. Because the more you think about yourself, the more miserable you'll become. But the more you think of others, watch what God will do. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. God shared the gospel. God shared the truth with with this people, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? He's telling us there, yes, and we see it in Isaiah 53.1. Paul quotes it, and he says, yes, in Isaiah prophesied that all of those who would hear the gospel would not choose to believe. And not only the fact that you must believe, not all people were going to believe. But not only that you must believe, but you need to obey. Because not to believe on Christ is to disobey God. Because God has called us to do that. True faith must touch the will of the person and result in In verse 17, he says, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. See, a messenger must go to the people with the message of the good news of the gospel, that Jesus loves them. The people need to hear the word of God. That is why I'm so encouraged by you and the fact that we as a body are soon, Lord willing, next week, is going to have a radio station that is going to put out 24-7 the word of God into this community. 
that God is working through you to put the gospel out to this community 24-7. Because that's what God has called you and I to do. But not only through that mechanism, through what we call radio, but he's called it the fact that you're going to be able to go out and tell other people about the gospel with your own words. Or lead them to a place where they're going to get solid teaching at any point or any time in their life on 24-7 in the radio. And then finally, Paul speaking to the results. You know, I know you rejected the promise of salvation. I just gave you the remedy. You need to hear the word of God and you need to respond and believe what Jesus has done for you. Because if you don't, here's the rejection. Verse 18, but I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Yes, the nation of Israel has heard the word of God. They have read it. They studied it. They know it. They've received God's written word. But they have chosen not to believe it. They chose not to take heed to what they heard. That's why Jesus said it a few times in the scripture. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. <laughs> you know, it's so true. You know, husband, did you hear me? Oh, yeah, I hear you. I hear your wife. I hear you. No, do you hear what I just said? You know, there's a difference between I've heard something versus actually hear and take heed to what was said. You guys, are you tracking with me here? Jesus is saying, just don't, just don't hear what I'm, I'm saying through this mouthpiece up here, but hear it and take heed of it receive it. And then verse 19, but I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a, a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. Verse 20, but, is, but Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me and I was made manifest to those who do not ask for me. By God's grace, he sat there and said, okay, I'm bringing the gospel, the promise of the salvation to you, Israel. And Israel said, I, we don't reject you. We reject the Messiah. We reject Jesus Christ. He says, okay, fine. I understand that. I've already predicted this. I already know, prophesied this. I'm going to give the good news to the Gentiles then. You know why I'm going to do that? Because it says right here in the scriptures, I'm going to provoke you. I'm going to bring anger to you because you're going to sit there and see the blessings come upon the Gentiles and not upon you. And you're going to understand that I want all of you to be saved. And Moses predicted this in Deuteronomy 32, 21. For this one reason why God sent the gospel to the Gentiles was that they might provoke the Jews to jealousy. That it would cause an act for them to willing to change. What an act of grace for the Gentiles. But isn't that still also an act of grace toward the Jews? Because God could have said, forget you. You rejected me, forget you. But he didn't. He says, I'll use these people to bring jealousy to cause you to come to an understanding that you rejected, but you must come back. 
And then verse 21, but to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Jesus has held out his hands of love to Israel the whole time. Paul even stretched out his hands of love by sharing the scriptures to them and sought to convince them that Jesus is the Messiah. And we see that in Acts 28, 23. Even though he was being persecuted, his love was more important than the person being persecuted. And he was still stretching out his hands. He was still sharing the truth. He was still sharing the gospel, even though they were willing and wanting to kill him. When Jesus stretched out his hands on the cross for you and I, and he's still doing that today for anyone who will listen and hear this truth and believe, his hands were stretched out for you to save you this day. And he will continue to stretch out his hands for you because he loves you that much. And he has given the promise of salvation. Let us pray.